Powered by Righteous Media. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 22 of the Firefighters Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Serra. Of course, we'll start out this week with the mass shootings uh, that have gone on in our country. Uh, once again, it seems to be the American pastime. I'm just wondering when are we actually going to do something about it? You know, I- I'm tired of the arguing and the back and forth and the Second Amendment and the mental health. Why do we have to choose? Uh, this is what I'm wondering. You know, you have one group of people saying it's a mental health issue and another group of people saying it's a gun issue. But isn't it fucking both? I'm sorry, but don't you have to have some sort of mental health issues to go into a supermarket and shoot up people? And by the same token, the fact that that this person is holding an assault rifle or or whatever, you know, I'm not a military guy, but come on. Clearly, there's issues all around And, and, and nothing ever gets done, you know, because of of gun lobbies and all the other corporate bullshit that really runs our country. You know, the people who cut the checks to our politicians and tell them how to vote. You know, that's the shit that gets in the way of of stuff actually happening. But the reason why the public doesn't really fight for change is because we fight with each other, right? I mean, I think we could all agree that that we want to go to the supermarket without fear of of getting shot in the head, right? I mean, isn't that isn't that you know, like the bare minimum in a civilized society that we we should be able to get on the subway without worried about getting shot. We can't agree on that, you know. And then let's let's look at our leaders, right? You know, we 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 have an anger issue in our country. We have a hate issue in our country. And, and where does that start? It starts at the top, right? We have presidents dishing out hate on television to other Americans and other people around the world, but mainly to, to who are supposed to be their allies. You know, Republican, Democrat, you're supposed to be allies. In a, we're, we're all supposed to be American, right? I'm not supposed to go on TV and, and disparage each other. Well, well, what example are we setting? And then we wonder that why people are fighting in parking lots and, and, and go, go, throwing beers at baseball games and, and, and acting like idiots? Because our leaders are acting like idiots. They're fighting on national TV. They're fighting on Twitter constantly, name-calling, cursing. Come on. Set a better example. I don't care how much these corporations are paying you to vote whoever you vote. That's a whole other issue. But at least, you know, have some class and some dignity. At least, you know, lead slightly by example. There are ways to to handle uh, differences uh, without nasty tweets. And you're all guilty of it, both parties, so I don't want to hear it. Stop. You know, if, if, if it's a mental health crisis in our country, then, then maybe calling each other names and fighting isn't going to help. So anyway, moving on. Uh, some good news. Firefighter Abraham Miller of the FDNY was awarded the United States Public Safety Medal of Valor this week by President Biden. Firefighter Miller rescued a child... Uh, in a roof rope rescue uh, at a fire, um, which is pretty badass, you know, to go off off the side of a building, dangling on a rope and, and picking a kid off is pretty cool. So uh, kudos to uh, Abraham. Uh, congratulations uh, and good work. 
keep it going. Speaking of uh, leading by example, my next guest, Bridget Gormley, is a filmmaker, but she's a general badass. You know, she's somebody who saw something wrong, uh, felt she was being wronged, her family was being wronged, and instead of, of griping about it and 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 you know feeling sorry for herself, uh, she got in her car and drove to Washington, um, took on meetings and took on politicians and uh, took up the fight with us. Um, You'll hear her story, uh, but but she's pretty cool. She's somebody that I want my kids to look up to. She's somebody that I think we all can look up to in in the face of 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 what she went through to be able to uh, to use that to move forward and to to uh, help other people uh, is pretty cool. So I'll let you hear her story straight from her. So here she is, Bridget Gormley. Joining me this week, I have filmmaker Bridget Gormley. Bridget, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah. Um, Bridget is the daughter of an FDNY firefighter, which is uh, unfortunately how we met, but uh, we're going to get into that. But uh, Bridget's dad passed away from 9-11 illness, which uh, is one of the themes of this show is activi- uh, accidental activism, which is how Bridget uh, became an activist. So uh, tell us how you got started. I think that's the first time I heard it put that way, accidental yeah, activism, I, but it works I, out perfect. It's exactly yeah. what it is. Um, yeah. So my, my dad got sick um, with cancer from 9-11 and he passed away. And the crazy thing about it for me was that I had no idea how bad, um, I'll call it an epidemic was, you know, everybody getting sick. And I really just kind of was naive about the whole post 9-11 illness. Um, I, granted, I was definitely, you know, protected from it and shielded from it. They didn't want me to know. Um, But when I did find out, I kind of was baffled. I couldn't believe that this was a thing. And then I, you know, I started looking into it more and then I realized how bad it was. And if I didn't know about this, somebody who's directly affected, I can guarantee you that there are a lot of people out there that don't know about this. So I, um, boots on the ground, I bought a camera and I just started filming, see what I can get, you know, tell the story. Yeah. Um, and Bridget's film came out last year. Um, unfortunately I couldn't make it to the screening. Um, but it's called dust, the living legacy of nine 11. Uh, and it follows people like me and others dealing with nine 11 illness. Uh, so you should check it out. Where can people see that yet? Or. Yeah. So right now we're actually trying to sell it. So hopefully okay. I'll give you an update as soon as I have a place, a home for it. All right. Cause I still haven't seen it yet. Um, so I'd like to, I'll send you a link. Everybody okay. else has to wait. They got to see Perfect. it on the big screen. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So I'll save my opinions about it till I see it. Um, <laughs> Wise. Wise. <laughs> I'm just, just joking. Um, so next week we're going to be on a panel, uh, at the 9-11 Museum with Phil Alvarez, one of our buddies, um, which is kind of cool. But uh, basically, Phil's another one who got thrown into this um, because his yeah. brother was sick. Yeah. Um, and it seems to be the case with all of us, right? Uh, whether we're sick ourselves or, you know, someone we love. But uh, Phil's another one who who kind of took the ball and ran with it. And now he's one of the leading activists for, for our cause, too. So it'd be pretty cool to see him. But uh, so when did you start actually going down to Washington and lobbying down there? So I started, it wasn't, I'm the type of person that believes in the timing of the universe, right? right. Everything's supposed to happen when it's supposed to happen. 
Um, and it sounds kind of crazy, but like my dad passed away on the eve of the VCF cutting its funding uh, when they started saying they were running out of money. Mm-hmm. So that was, I think 2019, they made that announcement in February and my dad passed away in June, 2017. Um, so I was working on the film. I didn't really know where I was going with it initially. Like my whole premise was to get the word out about people that were sick. And then I was working on that aspect of it. And then the universe dealt its hand and the BCF was cut. So I couldn't really believe the timing of everything. Um, so that being said, I started heading down to DC with uh, Michael Barish and John Feel. And that's how I met you, Rob, through John Feel and Feel Good mm-hmm. um, in February right after they cut it. So then I got my, my, um, my feet wet with that. And I saw firsthand what had to be done to get everything in motion and acknowledged and recognized. Right. And I had Lila on uh, a couple of months ago and she, she said she had a hard time getting her voice heard. Did you feel that way that when you were in the rooms, like the people weren't listening to you specifically? Yeah. I mean, here's the thing, the difference between her and us, right? She was a civilian. She was, she right. was a, she was a student. She was a kid. Right. So she kind of is in the shadow of the 9-11 narrative. Right. We're not, you and I, you, me less than you, uh, or you less than me in that shadow. But yeah, I was really surprised how like much of talking to a wall, it was speaking to some of these people. They're just so dismissive, don't have time for it. Um, and these are the same people that are like, you know, waving their flag, never forget our heroes and, you know, Am I allowed to curse? Uh, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. You know what I mean? It's it's old bullshit. Yeah. Um, in, and one of our favorite moves was actually the move you showed me, which is you had that book, that binder filled with tweets from all the people that have been tweeting over the years. Never forget. And you yeah. go in them asking for your, you know, you need their help and their support. And they're like, this is a New York problem. And you're like, yeah. number one, no, it's not. Number two, what's this all about? You know, like you're a hypocrite. You, you, yeah. Your words are louder than your actions. We call so, that the Book of Shame. Um, book of Shame, yeah. Which is actually now in the 9-11 memorial. Uh, I don't that know. That book is in there? It's in there. Good, I love I, that. I donated okay. it. We'll see what they Good. do with it. But oh, I gave them that in Ray's wheelchair. Um, so it we'll offers a little, it's a little bit of a comic relief, I think. Yeah. Place. It's very, you know. But it actually worked. Like, you know, you see their it faces drop, work. you know. Um, if to, to give you a little bit more context, what, what, uh, what I did was I... I went to Staples, I got a binder and I printed out every single tweet or Facebook post from whoever we were meeting with uh, on past 9-11s. And they were all, like Bridget said, uh, never forget our heroes. Some of them even referenced people getting sick from 9-11 illnesses. Um, yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, was Calling them heroes. But, mm-hmm. Right. And, and yet these same people uh, were telling us it wasn't their problem and mm-hmm. yada, 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 even though... M- Every single person we met with had constituents in the program. Every uh, single one. And I just want to give a disclaimer. We did meet some nice people that yes. worked with us, but the other ones far outweighed the, uh, we had a shame quite a few people. Right. I always say it was, it was, it was like thirds, you know, you'd have a third of the yeah, people yeah, yeah. were on our side and were nice. And, and like mm-hmm. going into those meetings was like a nice respite for us, you know, then there right. was a third who, who seemed like they didn't know what was going on and like, engaged in conversation and then the other third was just contentious and could give yeah, a shit very that dismissive. we were in there. Right. Right. Exactly. Like uh Greg Stolb, Stoibe, I don't know how you say his name, but uh I don't know if you were with us on that one. He had like a five or six foot fat head on his wall of not of ground zero. Like 
you could the, the faces were big enough where I could make out people that I knew, right? You know, right, and he right, was right, right. he was there, but he wouldn't meet with us. Um, he wouldn't co-sponsor the bill. I think he ended up doing it after being shamed. But but imagine having that giant poster on the wall of your office. A and, sad head, a sad head. Yeah, it was. It's like it was, not even. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like it was big. It, it was huge. It was at least five feet long. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, that, but that's what we were dealing with. Uh, that's cool. But let's talk about your film. That had to be you. Steve Buscemi was your executive producer. Um, most of our audience knows that Steve was a firefighter um, mm-hmm. and returned uh, to Engine 55 after 9-11 to help. But uh, what yeah. was that experience like working with him? So Steve, when I started this project, I knew that I needed to get some um, some names to help right. back me because I'm really a no. Before I made this, I, I still am a nobody, but like I had like I not, had nothing to work with. I knew no, I had no skin in the game. Didn't know anybody in the industry. And um, I found out that Steve was going to be at a Friends of Firefighters event. And I couldn't go because we were in D.C. Right. Um, I, think we, I think it was in February, actually, 2019. And um, so I had one of my dad's friends, Kevin Judson. I gave him like a little press pack and gave him the speech. To, you know, his objective, his mission objective was to meet Steve and give him this packet and tell him what's up. And he did it. I saved the voicemail. I'll never delete the voicemail that he sent me. He's like, mission accomplished. He's a nice guy. He got the packet. He's going to review it. He'll get back to you. Um, so he got it. And I was so happy. And I um, remember I was in the hotel room in Washington. And I was like, oh, my God, this is great. Um, a few months passed. I didn't hear from him. So I was like, all right, maybe he's not that interested. Right. And then just when I was about to give up, I got an email from his assistant who um, I think it was him, actually in disguise of an assistant. Um, <laughs> and he's like, tell me what you want. And we just started a conversation and then I, I gave him a cut. He loved it. Him and his partner, Ren. And they, um, they had my back ever since. And they really helped me out to get the word out about this and press and selling it now, trying to find a home for it. Right. That's awesome. Uh, Steve yeah. does a lot with friends of firefighters, right? He, he donates a lot of yeah, his time. He's, and- he's a, a big, big activist over there. Um, and his big thing is mental health, right? because he sees this issue of people not accessing um, mental health care because of the stigmas attached to it. Um, And just like, you know, I I know firemen very well. I know men, you know, well enough to know that there's sort of this, um, especially in the fire department, this strong silent type, you just deal with it, you bottle it in. And it's not always, um, it's not always healthy to do that. So his, um, a lot of his work over at Friends of Firefighters has been to, promote that destigmatize it and really help these guys access the help they need because they do need it and they do want it. It's just a question of getting over themselves perhaps and some social, yeah, uh, you know, obstacles in the way for them. And I, I, as we've seen the, those mental issues, it, the more you push them away, the more they exacerbate your physical issues. Oh you know? yeah, of course. Uh, of course. Um, yeah. You know, Dr. Moline did that whole study on it uh, up at Mount Sinai and she sees mm-hmm. the connection with the ex- acceleration of, dementia and mm-hmm. all these other illnesses that we're seeing. Um, yeah. Someone asked me about that last week. Uh, I was doing an, someone else's interview and they asked me, why aren't all these other illnesses added to the bill? You know, mm-hmm. um, like. PTSD, uh, P- depression, anxiety. Right. Dementia, ALS, dementia. Um, yeah. all, the, all the autoimmune illnesses that mm-hmm. people like me right. are dealing with. You know, there's thousands mm-hmm. of us. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't really have an answer because I, I'm not really. My focus now is with with our foundation. We're just taking care of people. We're not. We're right, not right, right. Lobbying right. in Washington anymore. So 
Do you have any yeah. updates for us on, on anything like that? Are we? Yeah, actually, um, it, it's it, baby steps, right? With these people, these people being the feds. Um, for the long, so when you know this better than most, but not, you're not, you know, I don't know if your listeners know this, but when this bill first got passed, cancer was not included in anything, right? Mm-hmm. It took, I think, five years to get cancer covered, which when you think about it, it's crazy. Um, yeah, but, we had know, firefighters sell their houses because they had to pay yeah, for Yeah, it's cancer. nuts. Yeah. It's absolutely insane. But they did that because if cancer was included in the first bill, it never would have got passed. So they did a little, a little, you know, little loophole in it, like, well, setting up a medical advisory board at their discretion, well, like, you know, certain things that they think is relatable. And that's how they were able to get the cancers on board. Right. So I think that was 2010. And I'm not hundred percent on that, but I think it was 2010. They got cancers added. Um, and there was one cancer that was never added. And as a woman who hates saying as a woman, it was uterine cancer. Mm-hmm. So every single cancer is covered except that one cancer. So now the rumor is, is that that's going to be covered. I think it's making its way um, through the advisory board now. So once that is covered, I do believe at that point, every cancer will be covered, which well, is I huge. Think, right. And I, that, I discussed that with Lila. And mm-hmm. a huge part of that issue is a lot of these studies are based off of the FDNY. Like we started the program which is first. Men. Which I mean, we mostly, have women in there, but it's mostly men. Yeah. There was at that time on the job, uh, maybe a few dozen, you know, and some EMS, right. but yeah. but not right. a very large part of the study when you're talking about twelve to fifteen thousand people. So yeah, you know, and and breast cancers were added because a lot of the men were getting it. Correct? Male breast cancer, right. yeah. So here's you want a crazy figure. So I think it's something around one in one hundred thousand men will get male breast cancer. Um, I know law firms that rep- have 68 clients with male breast cancer and they represent 30,000 people. So if you do the ratio, it's like totally out of proportion. It's totally, you know, skewed in favor of having, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but Lila actually was one of the big voices in getting the, um, the women's issues covered because she was a civilian, but she was a woman too. So she was able to push that agenda because that was the voice that wasn't heard among. FDN, the responders, right? Who generally male dominated, not totally, but heavy in male presence. Right. But um, yeah, so she, that's why her role was even more important is because she represented not only a different demographic, but a whole other sex and gender that was being overshadowed. Right. You know? um, and I, I think another portion of the uh, population that's overshadowed is people like you, the children. Um, Oh, yeah. Something I say all the time is that th- these these illnesses affect families uh, mm-hmm. beyond just the, the first responder mm-hmm. or, or whoever's sick. You know, the, it, it takes a lot out of your family financially, emotionally, mm-hmm. um, especially when when we were going through this, you, you were still fighting for recognition from the government um, that essentially caused this. But I, I think. I think that people like you and Rob and, and the, the other kids who came down there to to represent that um, did a great job because now those family issues are sort of covered, at least the mental health portions that have programs. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it was tough because, um, you know, you have young kids, right. you know what I mean? How, how old's your oldest? Like 12? 12, yeah. 12, yeah. So and then you have Vinny, who's eight. Eight, yeah, these are kids. As far as I'm concerned, they're babies. Right. Um, and you, you, you were a young guy in the job, and you're not the only young guy in the job who had kids okay. that age. 
Right. You know, so, and there are people maybe in worse condition than you, or maybe you have passed away who now left these young kids. So it's like insult to injury. It's like, okay, so your dad passed away or your mom passed away. And now you have a single parent home with three little kids, you know, and it's, and at that time too, when we were lobbying DC, my, my, my family's um, claim was in review. Right. So when they were making the cuts, they, the awards were getting cut by 70%. Yeah. So we got some of the awards. I mean, I don't know how it happened by the grace of God, but it happened that we just missed that. But a lot of people in my group received the award for 70% less. And then had a, when everything got refunded, they had to go through the process again to get made whole. Right. So I it's remember. just like, it's just like a pain in the ass for everybody. You're going to make them go through this again. And then you're dragging out the process again. And, and it, and it's for no reason. And it seems like they, yeah. they, they keep doing this. And, and, what people don't really understand is there was the trauma of 9-11, but now there's, then there's mm-hmm. the trauma of watching your family member die of this yeah, illness. Yeah, yeah. And then mm-hmm. there's the trauma of, well, now what the fuck are we going to do? We have no mm-hmm. money. We have, we just lost our, our quote unquote breadwinner or whatever. And right. what are we supposed to do? So now people were flipping out and they were, they were re-traumatized because they just got the rug pulled out from them again, yeah. um, mm-hmm. which seems to happen, you know, in September, uh, so you know election time every year seems mm-hmm. like they bring up these uh funding issues and then everyone freaks out again and it's kind of like another kick tired of freaking team. out it wouldn't right. it be nice if you just can like sit there and go on with life and the kitty's full so to speak you know it's right. um and in the long term too i mean in the grand scheme of things of, of money and federal funding it's like drops in the bucket you know what i mean i think that's what's so upsetting to me is that right. at the end of the day they're worried about their federal deficit and their debt and this and that. And I'm like, yeah, but this is such a specific definable thing. You know, it was like, like this is the dollars thing you we were asking out. for compared yeah. to the national I mean, budget. Yeah. We were asking for like two or $3 of the national budget. Yeah. Like, like, I know. I know. Put it simply, which was yeah. aggravating. That, that, that was probably the most uh, aggravating thing for me was all this, all the shit that we spend money on. And this is where we draw the line. You know, <laughs> and you're going to get nickel and dime people that ran into a, a, a war zone essentially you know like right after that, the not, battlefield admitted that you lied and then yeah prance this out here uh you know for your campaign yeah. you, you're gonna go take pictures at supermarkets with, with firemen and smile you know like that's it's insulting i mean i can't it think is. it's insulting really i mean i wasn't it, when i when it was happening i was just kind of my head was spinning for a lot of different reasons but now like even sitting here talking to you i'm realizing it like it was so crazy it was like so it's like such a slap in the face you know it, it's i don't know retrospects 2020 and i have like clarity now that i didn't have then but right well i think because it was my second time going down there i i paid a, mm-hmm. a lot more of attention uh you know when i was in the room yeah, yeah. and paid attention to the things they were saying the even just the shit right. around the room you know like the stuff they had in their office right. all those things tell, right, right, they right. tell a story um oh no doubt the devil's in the details drop you look at the fat head on the wall and the challenge coins on the desk it's like oh okay right. you know th- th- that tom was like my uh tom wilson was my my partner in crime on that we I had, Tommy. We, yeah. yeah by the end we had the whole thing down we'd walk in we they'd say oh it's gonna be some time and we would just we'd be fine with sitting there and just listening and looking around and, and it would basically tell us how the meeting mm-hmm. was gonna go you know i don't know yeah, yeah, i, I kind of yeah. feel lucky that i went through that all that shit because it's kind of like like put all the bullshit that's gone on in our country in the last 
two to three years. Yeah, like, it's in perspective. A in perspective, bit. <laughs> and, and it keeps me above it. Like, I, I really don't care uh, either way because I, I know what the bullshit that really is going on and it has nothing to do with what we're seeing on Twitter. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm with you there too. Um, and I think it's important. There's something to be said about what we see as people outside this community and what you see as people inside the community. It's not that there's a disconnect. It's just that we kind of know a truth that, um, and we see a reality that not everybody else is privy to. Not by right. any fault of anybody's. It's just the reality of the situation, right? We're, we, we put ourselves in the Capitol building. We put ourselves in D.C. We put ourselves in these offices of people. Whereas people around the country, you know, they don't, number one, don't have that luxury and they don't know to do that, you know, and they don't know, they see what they get off Twitter and they see what they get off um, the news. And so imagine somebody in like Michigan sees, you know, so-and-so's tweets. They think, oh, this guy is supporting it. He's a good guy. Yeah, but meanwhile, we're having an argument with the guy in his room about <laughs> his office, about or, getting the funding, you know? Right, or he's sneaking out the back door. Uh, yeah, and totally we, avoiding you. Right. No, exactly. So, so that's how I feel about it. I feel I, I feel lucky. Um, yeah, right. I do too. So, uh, what's next? Are we working on any any more films, or what are we doing? What's next? I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm trying to. I'm trying to. I really I, this thing has been on my shoulders for a few years, few years yeah. longer than I thought it was going to be. Um, not by any fault of my own. It's just the way the game is. It's the nature of the beast. Um, so I think once this is out, we're going to start some new projects. Yeah. Um, we've got some things lined up. So hopefully it will come together. Um, and I'm kind of, I'm hoping to ride the wave of this one for the sophomore feature, if you will. Yeah. Well, well, I think the story, you know, the, the story is only half written at this point. You know, I think that yeah, this is true. five to 10 years, um, we're going to see a lot, a lot worse, unfortunately, I think. Um, Hope I'm wrong, but. Well, you know, Rob, the thing is, though, like, not to be like the uh, pessimist here, but if you want to assume that the youngest victim that day was like a kid, like mm -hmm. a two year old, a newborn that's now 20, they got to go through the rest of their lives until they die, you know, with that, that clouds over them, too. So, like, this is not just a, it's not your generation's problem. It's not my generation's problem. It's not your kid's generation's problem. <laughs> it's everybody's problem that was alive during this, you know? So it's very multifaceted in that sense. Yeah. No, the, the, the shadow is definitely over my kids' heads. It's going to linger. You know, yeah, for it, sure. For uh, sure. You know, they're dealing with it, dealing with it already, but mm -hmm. all right. Well, thanks for coming on. I, uh, I appreciate your time and I look forward to next yeah. week, even though I have no idea what we're going to be talking about, but uh, we'll, we'll do fine. Idea. Look at us now. Yeah, yeah. We'll be all right. I'm not all worried right. about us. All right. Well, thanks, Bridget. Right. And uh, I look forward to seeing the film. Be on the lookout. I'm going to send it right now. I hang up All right. with you. Sounds good. All right. Okay. Cool, Rob. I'll see you next week. See you next All week. All right. Take it easy. Hey, guys. It's Frankie. And welcome back to Frankie's Firehouse Feast. Today, we are making Firehouse Chili. Here are the ingredients. First, you'll need two tablespoons of canola oil, four pounds of lean ground beef, two medium onions chopped, one medium green pepper chopped, four cans of kidney beans rinsed and drained, three cans of stewed up tomatoes cut up, one can of beef broth, three tablespoons of chili powder, two tablespoons of ground coriander, two tablespoons of ground cumin, 
4 garlic cloves minced, 1 teaspoon of dried oregano. First, in a Dutch oven, heat the canola oil over medium heat. Next, brown beef into batches, crumbling meat until no longer pink, and then drain it and set it aside. Add onions and green pepper and cook it until it's tender. Return the meat to the Dutch oven and stir in the remaining ingredients, and then bring it to a boil. Reduce the heat, simmer covered until flavors are blended, about one and a half hours. Chow's on! Thank you, Frankie. Firehouse chili was always my favorite. Thank you to Bridget for coming on. Thank you for your leadership and for the example that you set for other fire kids out there. I appreciate that you stood up and and fought and spoke up. Uh, Good luck with your film. Hopefully somebody buys it soon uh, and then you all watch it, right? Uh, So good luck with that. And I'm looking forward to being on the panel with you next week. We'll see how that goes. I'll update everybody. One thing Bridget brought up, though, that I'd just like to touch on quick is, you know, firefighters generally not being the first people to ask for help, right? Um, You know, and just reminded me of of the most frustrating part of the whole fight for for the Zadroga bill and and then the VCF was was really not having to convince politicians that this shit was real and that we were sick and, and dying was convincing other firefighters, right? The, the ones that weren't sick yet or, or weren't, weren't on the job yet uh, for 9-11. Um, you know, it reminded me of a story. I, I had a friend uh, who had a lot of time on the job and he just, for whatever reason, didn't believe in 9-11 illnesses and he, and he kept telling me he thought it was fucking bullshit, quote unquote. So, you, you know, I was in the middle of... of the fight for the Zadroga bill at the time, uh, and I just kind of stopped talking to him. But come to find out that that not long after, he retired with uh, 9-11 illness and applied for the VCF, which, you know, as I've said all along, I I don't want to be right about this, but just because you choose not to believe in something doesn't mean it's not true. You know, if you you want to believe that you're not going to get 9-11 illnesses, it's not going to stop them from fucking attacking your body. So, you know, that was the frustrating part for me uh, was was really having to convince my friends uh, that I was sick and that we were sick and going to get sick. And even if you weren't sick 10 years ago, uh, by now you, you probably are, right? Um, so that was the frustrating part, uh, as it always is. But it seems like we're doing better and, and it seems like the uh, guys and gals out there are, are – are asking for help more, which is pretty cool. Um, but also, you know, as we're seeing with the with the bunker gear issue and and the cancers sweeping the fire service right now, um, just because it doesn't happen to you doesn't mean it's not happening. So uh, pay attention. Look at the numbers. Look at the science. Study. Uh, read Graham Peasley's study uh, out of Notre Dame about the the chemicals in the gear. You know, it's happening. Uh, it's a whole other issue, but it but it's kind of the same. So uh, with that, take care of yourselves. Go to your doctor's appointments. Go to your medicals. I got mine next week. If you need help, ask for it. Subscribe now at staylow.us. Join the squad at patreon.com slash firefighters podcast. Be sure to leave us five stars if you feel so inclined. We're powered by Righteous Media. Stay low, my friends.
Righteous Media.